Welcome to Stepping Forward Podcast with Sarah Susov and Rachel Rawlinson. Today we are going to be talking about anxiety, mindfulness, mental health, and what else did we say? Therapy. Therapy. Oh, how could I forget therapy? It's like our favorite thing. (laughs) It's definitely my favorite thing. I do it most of the day, every day with my students. It's great. (laughs) I think I end up doing it with my students more often than I anticipated. Mm -hmm. I completely (laughs) believe that. (laughs) Middle school's hard. It is. It's funny, Rachel and I have complimentary roles in the middle school and both of our work besties are like what the other person's role is. So Rachel's Mm -hmm. a speech pathologist and her work bestie is the school psych and I'm a school psych and my work bestie is our speech pathologist. We have a lot of overlap in our jobs and it's really fun. (laughs) It's funny. They really are very complimentary uh-huh. roles. It's a lot of fun. I just keep trying to get her to come over to my district and she doesn't <laughs> listen. to the dark side. That's what I told her. She doesn't <laughs> listen. She's made of light. I don't know. I'm more stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> Could be that. <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about this topic lately, Rachel, um, mm-hmm. about mental health. And I think sometimes I throw stuff out there that I just like know, and I don't give the researcher back it up. (laughs) So we talked a couple episodes ago about how um, mental health has kind of grades or like intensity. Mm -hmm. Um, There's actually an assessment and a couple assessments that doctors and psychologists use to measure that. Mm -hmm. One of those is called the global axis of functioning. And I was like, well, there's different levels of mental health. And there are. Um, The global axis of functioning is a one to five rating scale. And it just says how impactful mental health is or mental illness is on somebody's life. And so if you're like, where's her? She said this, but where's her research on that? There is what that is. So if you want a Google Mm -hmm. search, the GAF or global axis of functioning that talks about it. And I can definitely back up what Sarah just said, because she brought it up and I said, oh, I was just reading about that in uh, uh, one of my stepdaughter's psychiatrist reports. Uh How cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because I wasn't sure what it meant. So I had contacted one of my sisters who has uh, who studies psychology. She's getting her bachelor. She got her bachelor's degree and she had brought that up to me. And I was like, Oh, how funny that you should bring that up because I was <laughs> just talking about this. Um, and another reading scale that was on the same line of his notes was the, um, I can't remember what it was called, but it, it was a rating scale about how improved a person is since the last time they saw them. Cool. So that was pretty cool. I believe it was one through four, but I'm not 100% sure on that one. That's really nice. I know they have things for kids like the youth outcome questionnaire Mm -hmm. that they have kids fill out every single time to see how they're doing when they go to the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. My stepdaughter was going for a while for her anxiety because she has lots of medical fun stuff. So (laughs) Yeah. One thing that can be tricky about that is uh, in a blended family situation, which parent fills it out? Yes. Different parents might see different behaviors. Uh If one parent fills it out one time and then a different parent fills it out the next time, Mm -hmm. how reliable is that really? That's a super good question. You would almost have to compare it to what the same parent filled out however many times before Mm -hmm. to see what their functioning is. So I didn't think about that because I was the one who took my stepdaughter to all of her appointments. So except for one. Yeah. So yeah, that w- that would have been pretty reliable, I think. Yeah, I I wonder about that because we see different things in our household than um, the bio mom says she sees. Yes, and I have noticed in different doctor's notes and things that that's reflected. Mm-hmm. But it'll say this improved or this declined, and I'm like, I don't think it really did. I think it was just a different. 
person rating it this time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, we can't with that discount the role of like a parental mental health mm-hmm. in that rating. So sometimes parents who um, are highly anxious themselves or who have more significant mental health issues might not rate kids as accurately um, and might not be able to see those things. So it's just all things to keep in mind. Definitely. As you're going throughout this, that mental health is, well, first of all, it's super important to take care of. And we're going to do an episode on self-care. Mm-hmm. Yay. Self-care is the best. Yay. Um, I'm so bad at it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to a girl last night. I don't remember the exact word she used, but she said something about being selfish with your mental health or with your something about self-care, but being selfish about it. And you have to, Mm -hmm. I think now we're so a lot of times um, geographically disconnected from our family and friends Mm -hmm. that we grew up with. Like I know I grew up in Southern Oregon and now I live in just South of Salt Lake city, Utah, and it's a 12 hour drive to go talk to them. Um, And that's not uncommon. People can live all over the world and that's fine, but it can cause some separation, which might make things a little bit harder for you in terms of like being able to access support that was really helpful for you. So things have changed a lot since, you know, my grandma was my age. Definitely. Yes. All right. So we're going to jump into a little bit of anxiety. Rachel and I have both experienced anxiety this week. You don't have to talk about yours if you don't want to. (laughs) Um, And also we're going to talk about mindfulness, like Rachel mentioned in our introduction. So we just, I just did a presentation with this yesterday with our counselors yesterday about mindfulness for teachers, because it's so stressful and our lives are stressful and they're busy. And then if you look at being a step parent, that's incredibly stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about with Ember how like there's not a lot of support there, but also there's somebody, there's kind of like the mom guilt that everybody has, you know, being a yeah. biological mom. Mm-hmm. And then there's somebody who's criticizing everything that you do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it might make you doubt yourself and just have some stressful things happen, which you don't want to. Right. And you might get blamed for things that really you have no power over. Uh-huh. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to be some sort of supervillain to control those things, (laughs) but it's hard when someone's telling you it's not that someone's telling you that it's your fault or indirectly telling you through other people that things are your fault to take a step back from your situation and reconnect with reality and get some perspective. Yeah. Which is where therapy can come in handy. Uh (laughs) I went to a therapy session just last week where Uh the therapist said to me, hey, um, that woman is never going to appreciate anything you do for her children. Mm -hmm. And it's more than likely that she feels threatened by you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) Completely oblivious. But it takes Mm -hmm. someone from the outside looking in sometimes to let you know that kind of thing. It does. And I think it's hard um, for us to necessarily reflect on that when we're caught up in all the emotions and the trauma that's happening in our Mm -hmm. co-parenting situation. (laughs) That's a really good point. I think for me, um, I feel lucky sometimes because of my job that I teach a lot of these things to my kids. They really need to learn them. And I get to think about reframing situations. I get to think about mindfulness. I get to think about anxiety and how impactful it is. Right. So just a story. Um, I went to the dentist this morning. Yay. I had to get one (laughs) little cavity because I'm a hard brusher. Had to get that filled. And when they were giving me the shot, I swear it felt like they were giving me adrenaline in the shot too. And I've never had that happen before, but it was just kind of numb my mouth. So my heart was racing and my stomach felt kind of sick and 
Um, and just FYI, identifying these physical signs of anxiety in yourself can be super helpful. So I know like when I have anxiety, my heart tends to race, um, my mouth gets super dry, and then I can kind of feel like an erratic heartbeat or something different. It's just very abnormal. And that's how I felt this morning. And so I was kind of, because I know so many strategies, I was like, deep breath, blowing it out. And the dental tech was like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm just calming everything down. But anxiety feels stressful in your body. Yes. And it goes back to our evolutionary times when um, we had physical threats in our environment, like, you know, saber toothed tigers and bears and stuff like that, that we physically had to fight off. Right. And the thing that's hard about it is that in step parenting situations, you have those same feelings with the threats that you receive. So when we talked about anxiety in our other episode, we talked about like mindfulness and how you can kind of know within yourself that everything's going to be okay. And as I was rethinking about that this week, I was thinking that um, some situations are really traumatic and it's a hard practice to overcome that much anxiety. It definitely is. And we can always use uh, some deeper digging on this information Yeah, because sometimes when you've learned something, it's easy to take for granted the information and, and it's good to break it down uh-huh. for other people and to remind ourselves like, Hey, this is how this is done. Let me check in. How have I been doing that? So. Yeah. I like that. The checking in is huge. Yeah. <laughs> it's really it's huge. It's tough. It mm-hmm. is very tough. It is because you have your life, you have your kids, you have your spouse, you have maybe work, you know, you're doing a bunch of things and Mm -hmm. it's really, it requires a lot of being intentional and a lot of mental effort. Sometimes you don't have. Right. So I I can talk a little bit about my big anxiety this week. (laughs) Sarah got to witness it a little bit. Um, So yesterday, uh, so my husband and his ex-wife go to a co-parenting coordinator, uh, who's a psychologist and, uh, we didn't have a babysitter for my son and I had work, uh, but I took a long lunch and, um, just went with my husband, uh, to the appointment so I could take care of our son. And we were out in the car and he, uh, you know, his ex-wife got there, she had gone in and he went in. And I had told him, I'm just going to bring our son in to play in the lobby because he likes the little toys in there. And then we're not stuck in the car or running around and buying things we don't need. Um, <laughs> not that that so, ever happens. <laughs> right. Um, so I got my son out and took him into the lobby and no one was in there. They don't have a receptionist in that office. It's just everybody keeps their offices locked and you, everybody comes and goes as they need to. So I, I figured, okay, cool. They are back in their appoint- appointment because it was past their appointment time and everything. And so I got my son playing with some things and I pulled out my phone and I had just gotten Marco Polo, Yay! which is an app on the iPhone <laughs> for those that don't know, um, where you can send videos to your friends and watch your, watch their videos. And it just saves them for when you're able to watch them and you have the time. So I was chatting with some friends on Marco Polo and um, ended up, and I was talking very quietly, but I ended up saying some, something about Biomom that uh, apparently I learned from the text I got from my husband 
they had overheard because they were still out in the hall waiting for the psychologist to uh, let them in and come to find out the psychologist wasn't even there yet. He was running quite late. So they were sitting in the hallway and he said that my husband said that they had heard me and I, you guys, anxiety just like pounded down on me to the point where literally my teeth were tingling and felt hot. And I, I was just mortified um, that my stepkids bio mom had heard me say these things. Uh, And it wasn't like hindsight from friends and different people. They're like, well, that honestly, in the scheme of things, you could have said a lot worse. Uh It was pretty mild. (laughs) I'm like, okay, but I still, I felt badly. And as I thought about it more, I realized I didn't feel as badly that she had overheard it. I felt badly that I probably made the session more difficult for my husband. So I don't know that gave me a lot of anxiety. And now I am like, I'm grounded from Marco Polo. (laughs) Sometimes you have to ground yourself from stuff. That's true. You're like, I'm okay. (laughs) I think that's a perfect example, though, of how anxiety can trigger that kind of fear and feeling and panic in our body. And what did I do? And it's um, your brain is just hijacked by those emotions, that Mm -hmm. fight or flight response, and it takes over everything. And you're like, oh, crap, what's going to happen? When you have anxiety, you might cry, you might um, freak out. It's so hard to think and focus. And you... um, it's hard to be mindful, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. It's hard right. to not judge yourself for saying that. Like, what did I just do? What was right. I thinking? <laughs> which I definitely was freaking out. And Sarah got to see that because I was messaging her on Marco Polo. And I then I started crying. And like, I took my son out to the car and I was just like in the car crying. Uh-huh. And um, But Sarah did something that really helped me calm down and brought me some mindfulness. It was a useful exercise. And I think that that's something that would be good to share here for our step parents to Perfect. use. And I don't mean to psychologize you. So if I ever am, I oh, know I appreciate it. Stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, your friend, not your patient. <laughs> um, I love this exercise because it's so simple and it really brings you back into the present, which is what mindfulness is about. And I'm just going to talk about that for a second before I talk about the exercise. Yeah, excellent. Okay. Okay. I feel like it gives a little bit of framework to understand what it is. So Mm -hmm. mindfulness, a lot of people associate it with meditation and that can be true, but it's not always true. You can mindfully do anything. So in the presentation I talked about yesterday, one of our counselors had the teachers mindfully eat uh, a little butterfinger egg. Uh-huh. Um, so you can mindfully walk, you can mindfully, you know, lay down them, you can mindfully watch TV. Mm-hmm. It's just being present in what you're doing, not thinking about the past, which can cause you some feelings of anxiety and not thinking about the future. Wait, past causes you feelings of depression, right? <laughs> um, not anxiety and thinking about the future, which causes you feelings of, uh, stress and anxiety. So if we're thinking about the past, usually um, we are judging ourselves for something that we did. <laughs> uh, usually equals always in that situation of being unmindful and having some kind of stress response and feeling like uh, we shouldn't have done something or we made a mistake or we made things harder or 
um, whatever it might be. And then if we're thinking about the future, we're thinking about what's going to happen now that I did this. Right. So mindfulness is all about being in the right now, which is the only time you have any influence or control over anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the exercise that I taught Rachel is one we do with our students. And it's really, I love the stuff we teach to our students because it can apply to people who don't have a lot of mindfulness experience too. Right. Even Um, if you do, though, like it's always good to get back to the basics. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And kind of remember those things that can help you. Yeah. (laughs) This one, we call it 54321. And it's just with your five senses. So you can switch around the order of some of these. And sometimes I forget which order they go in. So it doesn't have to be exactly like this. Um, But you look at your current environment right now, what's happening. What are five things that you can see in your environment? And then look at four things that you can touch, three things you can hear, two things that you can smell or that you like to smell, and then one thing that you can taste or you like to taste. So doing that would look like right now I can see the microphone, I can see the computer, I can see my water bottle because I always have that with me, I can see my wallet and I can see my keys. Um, I can touch the desk, I can touch the arm of the chair, I can touch um, the book that's on the desk and the marker, and then I can hear myself talking. <laughs> it's pretty quiet upstairs right now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Earlier we could hear a lot of little feet running around. Uh-huh, <laughs> kind <of> some thumps. <laughs> um, usually you can hear background, like I can hear the recording, and I can hear Rachel when she's talking. And then two things I can taste. I can't taste anything right now. I haven't eaten. I'm not eating right now. So smell, smell. Oh, smell. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Two things I can smell. Um, I can smell the soap on my arm. (laughs) And I was trying to sniff. Sorry, that was loud. I can. That's the only thing I can smell. But something I like to smell is like a nice candle. That makes me think of something happy. And then one thing that I can taste. My students always say they can taste their spit when I ask them. Little schoolers are so fun. So funny. Um, the one thing I could taste might be like the ice in my water bottle. So mm-hmm. that's just an example of how it does that. And what that exercise does is it takes your brain from freaking out about everything and makes you focus on what's happening right now. So I like that one a lot. Yeah, it worked on me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know. After I did it, you didn't respond for a lot. And I was like, um, I'm thinking he might have come out. And I hope everything's okay. So. Yeah, my husband had come out. But also, <laughs> yeah, I I had gotten calmer. And then... Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, it didn't help that my son was yelling at me through the whole exercise. <laughs> mom, mommy, mom, mom. <laughs> he got upset that I ran out of gummy worms uh-huh. and gummy bears just weren't going to cut it anymore. <laughs> no. Sometimes when you're two, that's how it is. Yeah. Right? <laughs> or when you're 34. <laughs> I will admit I've done that before. Yeah. If I'm really hungry, sometimes I get emotional. Not mad, but if I want something and it doesn't taste as good as I want it to, I'll cry. <laughs> Right. Same. Mindful of me. Same. 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 (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) And then I think with mindfulness, like it's a technique that a lot of therapists use. But like I was talking about a second ago, you can do it with anything. You can do it with eating, sleeping, walking. Um, You can do it with you know driving. That's a good time to practice being mindful, Mm. noticing what's happening around you. Uh, you can do it with exercise. You can do it with like when you're with your partner. What does their hand feel like in my hand? Just noticing some of those things. So paying attention and bringing your mind back. In our culture and in our world right now, we're not good at mindfulness. We're always judging ourselves for the past and then like worrying about the future. 
And that's the last thing about mindfulness I think I want to mention before we transition into therapy, which is also awesome, (laughs) that mindfulness is really non-judgmental. So with mindfulness, if you notice you're having a thought like, man, I really hate my husband's ex-wife, then you could be like, oh, that's a thought instead of telling yourself. It's a really um, good example, Sarah. That just might be relevant to our lovely audience. We love you guys. For your co-host, it's fine. I I felt that way before. It's normal. So if you notice it, it's just noticing I'm having a thought or I'm having a feeling. I'm feeling frustrated right now and not judging it, not feeling like I shouldn't be frustrated. I shouldn't be having this thought. Why mm-hmm. am I having this thought? I'm such a bad person, <laughs> which spirals into those kind of depression things yes. that aren't very fun. Um, and or helpful. Because, yeah, exactly. And they don't help you problem solve. So with anxiety, I always, I love talking about this. Rachel, tell me to shut up if I'm talking too much, Kay. But no, like, you're fine. You're it's fine. one of my favorite things to talk about because there are so many things you can do to help it mm-hmm. and practice. Um, with anxiety and mindfulness, I talk to my students a lot about prevention and intervention, and they're both important. And the example I give them is like, when you... Um, or feel like you're getting a cold, you start taking vitamin C. That's intervention. You already have a problem. You're trying to stop it. Mm-hmm. When you eat healthy and take your vitamins every single day, that's prevention. You're trying to do something every single day. And you can do that with anxiety too. And honestly, that's the best way to practice it. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't been <laughs> practicing deep breathing and relaxation strategies, I wouldn't have been able to like calm my brain down so quickly this morning in the dentist. I think it took me three deep breaths. And then I was like, okay, I'm good again. We got yeah. this. My heart's still pounding a little bit, but I feel better. And it's great that you've trained your body too yeah. to respond in that way, yeah. your your body and your mind. That's wonderful. Um, I was going to say a thing and I forgot it. Okay. We can edit this out. <clears throat> yes, we can. There are a lot of really good mindfulness strategies too. If if any of you step parents are like me, you have step kids that have pretty severe anxiety um, or possibly biological kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's likely that they've had some hard times and they sometimes start to panic. So, for example, uh, when I first married my husband, anytime I went anywhere, my, it's okay. Just punch the microphone. I know. There. Sorry. <laughs> I had an idea to recommend a book and I was going to look it up and then I went to grab my phone and I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anytime I was going anywhere or anybody mentioned that I was going to go somewhere in front of my stepkids, they tended to panic. Yeah. They were like, where, where's Rachel going? Or where's mom going? I, where, what's happening? When's she coming back? And Uh, That was more than likely because their mom had left them without warning, had left their home. And so I have looked up a lot of different mindfulness strategies Uh for kids. Um, One of my favorites that works on my kids a lot is um, think about you gather up a beautiful bouquet of flowers and you smell it. And then in your other hand, you have a bubble wand and you blow bubbles, right? <laughs> so they're, and that gets them breathing in deep and then breathing all the air out. Um, so that's a really good one for little kids. I love that. 
We have one we use sometimes for my students um, to teach them how to deep breathe because with the stress response, you do a lot of shallow breathing and your shoulders might move up and down a lot. Mm -hmm. You want to get them into their bellies where they can breathe deeper. So we'll have them hold their hands up to their face like they're cupping something or holding something. Pretend that they're breathing in like a the smell of soup and they take a deep breath and breathe it in and then they blow on it to cool it off. That's a good one too. So it just is visual for kids, yeah. which I think they need. And if you can give them a physical strategy, something to do physically to change their stress response and then a mental strategy, that's mm-hmm. super helpful. Mm-hmm. And different kids will respond differently. I know like sometimes with my kids, if I can get them singing some loud Disney song or something, they have, you have to belly breathe, right? Like you're going to sing the intro to the Lion King. You got to get a good breath. Like, or whatever the words are, I'm just making stuff up. But if you can be silly with them and get them to do something like that, it'll really get them out of the panic moment and get them doing something that is calming. Yeah. I think if you have anxiety and your kids have anxiety, it's super helpful to know some of these strategies. Um, There's a good chance that your kids might have anxiety. And I would love to do an episode later on screen time Mm -hmm. because that causes more anxiety for kids and talk about how that impacts them. But there's several things that you can do. And one of those we have, I have a couple books I like to recommend. One of them is called What to Do When You Worry Too Much. And it's a kid's guide to overcoming anxiety. So that's for littler, like elementary school kid age. And then the other one I really like, and they have a series of these. Um, it's called the Anxiety Workbook for Teens. And that one's really good too. And it teaches a lot of good strategies. I think in our brains, a lot of times when we have stress and anxiety, we kind of revert back to that emotional state where everything's really intense. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to problem solve it. And so there are some good things in there to deal with when we're step parenting too. Last thing we're going to talk about today is therapy. And therapy has, is cool. There are a lot of different practitioners. The most important thing is finding one that you get along with. Right. Um, It doesn't, their modality can be great, like whether they practice dialectical behavior therapy or cognitive behavior therapy, or um, I'm drawing a blank because grad school was seven years ago and I'm trying to remember all the kinds of therapy. EMDR. Oh, that one's cool Mm -hmm. for people who have post-traumatic stress disorder. It's eye movement desensitization. No, something. I can't remember. Google it. It's really good. But it's really really cool. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There are lots of modalities of therapy and you can learn really cool things in all of them. But the most important thing is your relationship with the therapist. Mm -hmm. They've done studies about how therapeutic alliance is, which is what it's called, is the best thing. Um, And so if you try therapy and you don't like your therapist, try another one. There's nothing wrong with that. And it can be really hard to go through the first session (laughs) multiple times and be like, this was my childhood. This was my teenagers. Here's what's happening for me now when they get all the background on it. But it also um, it's so important and so helpful. What has your experience with therapy been like? Uh, I've really, hmm, I've had a variety of experiences, but uh, it's overall been pretty good. I do want to stress the importance of having a good relationship with your therapist and being able to trust them. Um, I've had a few long-term therapists and then a few that I just saw here and there. Like I, after the, the Boston Marathon bombing, I saw a therapist just one, like a one-off with uh-huh. a, one at the school. Um, that kind of thing. I've had a few like that, but the long-term therapists are really great because you can 
really build a relationship with them. And then once you're through that initial introduction period where you've given your background, you don't have to hash through it again and again. And it's easier to talk about some of the other things and dig a little deeper because they have that background information already. And you really can delve into some of the more difficult problems. You can get deeper in. You're not just stuck on the surface. Um, For many of us who have anxiety, or what I like to call high-functioning anxiety, Uh (laughs) where we're like overachievers, right? Uh Because we have had this anxiety that drives us to do things. It's really easy for us to be like, okay, I went to my therapy session and everything's great and I'm wonderful now and uh, everything, I'm I'm able to make it look great on the surface and so yeah. now I'm done. And I would really challenge you guys to not do that. Let your, let your guard down, mm-hmm. dig a little deeper. Um, when your therapist asks you to do something that you think is really weird, give it a shot anyway. Uh-huh. I mean, as long as it's not crossing any like boundaries, you know, moral, <laughs> yeah, <it's> fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, be willing to try out those different exercises because you don't know what you might uncover and you don't know how it might help you. When we were doing our interview with Ember, uh, she mentioned how her therapy is really impacting her whole family and improving all of their relationships and really helping everyone Mm -hmm. just to have this one person in therapy. Yeah. And that's so true. It's so many people don't realize how interdependent we all are Mm -hmm. and how our actions and our choices impact everyone around us. Rachel, I love that because I was just listening to another podcast yesterday, which is really cool. Um, It's called the Jim Fortin Podcast, and he was talking about an experiment that scientists and researchers have done. It's called the Double Slit Experiment, and it just looks at how light and matter move, that they can move in ways that are classified as waves and as particles. But what he was saying, what I thought was fascinating, was that having observers there when they were doing the experiment actually impacted the ways that light and matter moved, which I think is fascinating. That really is. So what were the observers doing that impacted? They didn't necessarily have to be doing anything. It was just kind of the way, being who they were. Wow. So they could think about some things. They could think about you know, specific things that were happening in the, in and around them, but it could just be like normal stuff that they were thinking about. Holy cow. Which I think is interesting. And it lends so much credence to that theory that we're all interconnected Mm -hmm. and we all influence things. And it's so fascinating. Um, Science is the coolest. It is really cool. I love it. And it finds so many fun things for us to be like, yes, I knew this was a thing. And now I'm glad we can look at it and show and this experiment can be (laughs) replicated. And so I think it's pretty great. It really is. And yeah, people really don't realize the choices that we make impact other people. And, you know, that's not meant to be paralyzing or to trigger your anxiety (laughs) because studies have also shown that when you're trying to choose between two or more good options, the most important thing is that you actually make a choice and don't just leave it hanging. Uh That if you make a choice and it's, you know, as far as you can tell, a good, reasonable choice, mm-hmm. then it's just as likely as the others to have positive outcomes. I so, love that you brought that up. 
I think in co-parenting, sometimes we can kind of get stuck a little bit on our decisions and right. think like, what if I do this? What is the biological parent going to think if this happens? Mm-hmm. And that can be a really tough situation to be in. I think about that too much, honestly. Yeah, I, I do. a lot of us do. Yeah. And I think because we talk about this, like, and I coach people, I was talking to a client about some of these things the other day. Um you tend, like, I tend to see patterns in people and in myself too. And I'm not ever going to say that I'm perfect or that I know everything I need to know. I'm doing better now than I was a year ago. Mm-hmm. And you're probably doing better now than you were a year ago too, because we're always working on it. <laughs> so it's fine that you're not hundred percent there yet. I have a quote uh, in my classroom um, that says, the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I really try to emphasize that with my students, but also at home with my kids, we're, we don't need to be comparing ourselves to other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we really need to do is just try to do better than we've done previously. Try to put forth our best effort. Mm -hmm. Um, There's also another quote that says comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. That's a really good one. And I am blinking on who said it. Was it Roosevelt? Uh, I can't remember right now either. My memory oh. is not my strong suit. I know you guys, I, this is probably like the fourth time I've quoted somebody and been like, <laughs> I don't know who said it, but it's a great quote. So, <laughs> but when I first heard that quote, it felt like it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, oh my gosh, I do that. And I'm stealing my own joy when I do that. Mm-hmm. So I think as step parents and and as biological parents in a blended family situation it's it's human nature to compare yeah we're comparing households we're comparing kids behaviors between households we're comparing how we as step parents do things next to biological parents and really what it boils down to and I recently talked about this with a therapist (laughs) is when you lay down at the end of the night and you look back at your day, have the things you've done been things that you feel comfortable with, Uh that you can live with, that you say, I have done what I can today to build my relationships with the people I love. I really like that. I was thinking as you were talking how important that stuff is and how, Um, with comparison, there's not just a like comparison, like you would do with, you know, I don't know, Oreos or something like these Oreos are, are better. There's a judgment attached to it too. Right. It's not just like a compare and contrast with inanimate objects, right? (laughs) There's like a, I'm doing better than whatever I'm comparing myself to. Mm -hmm. Um, this person's doing worse than whatever I'm comparing them to. And it's all a judgment and it's all in our mind. Which ties back into mindfulness because once you can notice that you're doing that, you can say, oh, I'm judging it. And it's not like, oh, I'm bad. I'm judging it. It's just I'm judging it. Yeah. Do I want to keep doing that? Is that helping me? Right. And I think it's important to recognize what we're comparing, right? Because like we said, if you're comparing yourself to your previous performance, that is somewhat reasonable, Mm -hmm. right? So Sarah works as a school psychologist. I work as a speech language pathologist. If I take data on how Jimmy is doing on producing his S's and then I compare it to how um, Jamie is doing with producing her S's, that's not a fair comparison. It's not a reasonable comparison. Clinically, I get 
nothing from that. Right. Right. (laughs) If I take Jimmy's data and I compare it to how he was doing a month ago, Mm -hmm. I can say, okay, this approach I'm taking works for Jimmy or this approach I'm taking does not work for Jimmy and I need to try something else with this Mm -hmm. student. Right. But try to think about treating yourself with the compassion that you would if you were in my shoes dealing with this student or Sarah's shoes dealing with another student, how unkind would it be to compare them to someone else? Mm -hmm. Why do we do that to ourselves? Yeah. Why? (laughs) I think it's a really good question. I think there's evolutionary stuff behind it. Like, um, sometimes it's like the in-group stuff. Like if we, you know, however long ago we were in tribes and that was necessary for our survival. Mm -hmm. So we needed to have some like reflection skills and stuff to keep us in those groups so that we didn't go out alone, get eaten by a mountain lion, or, you know, we couldn't build a house all by ourselves. (laughs) Sorry, Rachel. (laughs) Rachel, she's taking a drink and I made her laugh. Oh, goodness. Um, But I think that was, you know, 100,000 years ago or whatever you believe religiously, like 6,000 years ago when man came on the earth. Um, That was evolutionarily really important for us. Mm -hmm. And our brains haven't evolved that much. We still feel like it's really important for us to be um, part of that kind of tribe. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think as step parents, it's natural to feel out of the tribe. So kind of reflecting on your behavior, noticing like, what am I doing? Having somebody outside of your family to talk to about it, somebody who's trained, um, like Amber was mentioning, somebody who doesn't have emotional attachments to anybody in this situation (laughs) and who can teach you how to see the judgments that you're making about things can be so invaluable. It really can. And also, I do want to say, like Sarah said earlier, she doesn't want to therapize me, right? Because we're friends. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, she she does a good job reminding me to use my coping tools, which is a good friend. <laughs> um, if you have a friend who's a therapist, that's probably not the person to go to for your therapy. It's true. That's the person to ask for referrals, right? Uh-huh. Like, hey, who's a good therapist I should go to? Or who do you think would match well with my personality? Yeah. Right? I've seen some people try to go to their friends for therapy and... Ethically, it's not great. No. (laughs) Um, And it also doesn't work out too well because our friends tend to validate us a little too much in in our flawed thinking sometimes. And they don't necessarily see it, obviously, from an unattached emotional perspective, but also from... Um, just from like a different perspective. Sometimes right. we need somebody to challenge the way we see things. Mm-hmm. I like to tell teachers at my school sometimes talk to me about stuff and I'm like, I'm, and I tell them I'm a psychologist. I'm not your psychologist. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that ties back into what you're saying about that. Find a good therapist, find somebody that you can build a good bond with. Um, if they're already an existing friend, keep the friend in that role and right. instead of the therapy role. It's super helpful less confusing. It'll cause less problems for you guys down the road. Absolutely. So, but that is our major plug for therapy. Uh You've heard it from us before. You'll hear it from us again. Yes. (laughs) And there's lots of good reasons for it. Uh, I was watching a video with my students this week about anxiety and looking at some mindfulness stuff. It physiologically changes your brain. Mm-hmm. which I think is amazing. Um, we talked about kid anxiety and I was going to mention that with kids, their brains are still growing and developing and making new connections. And it's really cool. And as adults, our brains aren't doing that anymore. Right. It's pruning back on the stuff we don't use, but 
by going to therapy, by practicing mindfulness, by using some of these techniques, you can build new neural pathways in your brain. Um, it's simple, but it's not easy. So when you practice mindfulness, remember that it is a practice. Remember that it's going to take you some time. When you start going to therapy, remember that it's going to take you some time so while you and your therapist get to know each other, mm -hmm. while you're working on some of the stuff and changing your thoughts about things. Right. Absolutely. I'm going to throw a little plug here that uh, my stepdaughter is actually wanting to start a podcast of her own. And so we are going to be working on that. And Sarah's probably going to be a guest on it. <laughs> um, but if you have kids with anxiety, I think it would be helpful for them. So it will be called Coping for Kids. We'll let you know when it's out. But uh, that is another tool that you can have for your family. We really see the importance of families. Yeah. And we want to make sure that every family member has the support they need. Because yeah. like we've said, we've all, we're all interdependent. Mm -hmm. And if you can improve something for one member of the family, it really boosts the whole family. So imagine if you're trying to do the best for everybody. I think that's amazing. I love that she's doing that and the things, the changes that it's making in your family. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys. Well, thanks for tuning in today. That was our episode about anxiety and mindfulness and therapy. We covered a lot of stuff. As always, if you have any questions, you can find us on social media. Um, I almost said my phone number. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> would have had to edit that out. To everybody, you, know? <laughs> um, you can email us steppingforwardpodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook. We have a group and a page stepping forward podcast that we update um, and hope to have some good conversations in our group pretty soon as well. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at step forward show. And then just a reminder that we're still looking for people to interview because Rachel and I understand that we don't understand everything and we haven't been through every situation of step mm -hmm. parenting. So if you want to share yours with us, please contact us. We would love to talk to you about it. We absolutely would. So please reach out to us. Uh, please also join us for our next episode when we will be talking about abuse. We know that that can be very triggering for people. So we're giving you a heads up now. In the meantime, keep on stepping. Only want love in this heart Don't know it all, but it's a start No room for hate, no room for greed No room for anger, fear, or need I only want love in this heart Anything else would tear it apart No room for envy, I have enough of just love